Scripture says in Colossians chapter 3, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Father, again, we thank you that as Christ is overcome and that we are in Christ as believers, that we have overcome, that our future is secure, that though we walk around in these bodies that are still frail, they're going to die, and the flesh is with us, that someday we're going to have new bodies. We're going to have glorified ones. And the final redemption will take place. And Father, we thank you for that, that what you have begun in our life, you will finish, you will complete. We ask that as we walk, that we would be walking for you, that we'd be walking by the Spirit's power, that you would give us grace to do that, and we know that you will. Father, that we might honor and glorify you in our walk. Uh, Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom as we seek to run this race with endurance. And as we look at 2 Corinthians 4 today, that you give us these three principles, three things that we should focus on that would allow us to be enduring Christians, Christians who run with endurance. Uh, give us wisdom. Lord, help us, help us not just, just to have knowledge, walk out of this place, and then not apply. But we ask that you would convict our hearts in areas that need changing that we would be teachable, that we would be humble, that we would allow your spirit to do his work in our lives through your word. And so we ask that uh, we might be the type of children that would bring honor to their father, that's you. Give us wisdom now in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. We'll read this in a, in a few moments. In the summer of 2012 Summer Olympics, excuse me, in the 2012 Summer Olympics, a sprinter for Team USA, Mantillo Mitchell, competed in the 4x4 meter uh, relay, 4 by 400 men's uh, meter relay. Halfway through his lap, he heard a distinct crack. Maybe some of you even watched this. I, I wasn't watching, but I, I went back and looked all this up. He heard a distinct crack and felt the associated pain in his leg. He actually literally broke his fibula. Now, again, that's not the main bone. That's the secondary one, but it's very, very painful. He's in, ha he's in the middle of the, the lap, and he's in the second lane, and he's coming around, and all of a snap. And then all you start seeing him, you know, and you could tell he was in excruciating pain. But what happened was he did finish his leg of the, the relay, which meant they could go on, they, and they end up being able to go to the finals and got second place. But as you, as you watch that, and you can just imagine the pain and the fact that he continued on. And by the way, he didn't continue on for himself. He, very, he was very specific. He said, we all trained for this. I had to finish it for the team. And I thought, boy, what an example of endurance. What an ex how many people would have just stopped? And we would have said, that's okay. 
you know, you broke your leg in the middle of the race, it's okay. But no, because he had trained for that for all those years. He represented not only himself, but the team, but also the United States. He continued on to the end with a broken leg. That's endurance. That's endurance. And you know, that type of mentality should be in the Christian's life. Again, we don't run this race for ourselves. Um, in one sense, we run it for each other as an example, but primarily, obviously, we run it for the Lord. And what we're going to be looking at today, and we looked at it last week for a little bit, and, we looked, and we're going to finish it up today, is how, do you, how can you be a, a Christian who runs with endurance? How can you be an enduring Christian? And again, I'm talking now primarily in the spiritual sense. How can you, how can you be a Christian that can go through grief and loss and disasters of various kinds, unexpected turn of events. How many of you have, have had unexpected turn of events? <laughs> That's life. At times even dread, debilitating, painful experiences. For some of you, it might be persecution, mockings from family members, from others, who knows. You know, all the things of this life on this broken planet, you know, trouble and distresses and difficulties and hardships, all those things, disasters and disappointments, all those things, and yet, and yet remain an enduring Christian. See, it's at that point a lot of people give up. Well, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this, you know, when they're talking about receiving Christ. I, that's not why I, you know, I thought he was going to make my life easy. By the way, that's a lie. You know, we keep saying that. That's a lie. Prosperity theology is one of the biggest lies out there right now. Like God wants you happy and wealthy and healthy. and No, no, that's not what it's all about. God wants us to glorify him. That's, by the way, that is the priority. It's not about you. Again, another lie is it's about us. Like, I'm real important. I'm not important. You're not important either. Do you understand that? It's not about us. It's about his glory. Now, thankfully, God of the universe determined to set his affection on humanity by sending his son and send his son so that his son would pay the penalty for our sin. And therefore, those who would receive him could come into his family and be forgiven children. Now, yes, in that sense, you're important. You're God's child. But when we get ourselves thinking, well, it's all about my particular life, that's wrong. It's all about him. It's all about the Father. And so, you know, when, when we go through disasters, sometimes we start asking the question, I wonder if God loves me. Well, that's a question that's asked by a person that thinks that they're the center we're not the sender. We're just one of God's children. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, then you're, just one, you're one of his children, but it's all about him. And that's very important because as we go through trials, we have to remember it's all about his purposes, his plan, right? His direction in our lives. And that's what makes us enduring. Now, if you're in 2 Corinthians 4, let's, let's look at this uh, verse 16. It says, therefore, now again, you always say, well, what do you mean, therefore? Why is it there? Well, if you go through even just the last, I mean, just the first uh, 15 verses of uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 
therefore would refer back to verse 1 because it says this, therefore since we, uh, therefore, since we have uh, this ministry, uh, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Uh, therefore, because we have received mercy, mercy from God the Father, and because He has brought us, notice this one, uh, verse 6, who commanded light to shine out of darkness. He's referring also to our heart. I mean, we had darkness. He brought light. He showed us the truth. He showed us the truth in Christ. And therefore, we're able to go through very hard times like in verse 8. You know, Paul says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Perplexed, not in despair. Persecuted, not forsaken. Struck down, not, but not destroyed. I mean, so therefore, he says in verse 16, therefore, therefore, we don't lose heart. I mean, God has been merciful to us. He has, he has given us light. He has showed us the path of Christ, to be, receive Christ. And even in the hardest of times, uh, we can uh, have faith, and we don't have to lose heart. In other words... Uh, our Christian lives, now this is the point, our, our Christian lives are not determined by our circumstances. You believe that. You live like that. Your life is not determined by your circumstance. Now the worlds are. See, the world, if you're in good circumstances, oh, I'm all happy and joyful. Oh, bad circumstances, oh, not happy and joyful. But see, for a Christian... Because it's not based on the circumstances. Our joy and our peace are not based on circumstances. It's based on someone, someone. And because God is sovereign, he is powerful, he is providential, we are, we are trusting in him. So let's read this. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What does it mean to lose heart? Well, it means that by having those things happen to you, like we just mentioned... A person would get discouraged and wearied and faint-hearted and apathetic and weak spiritually and fearful. They would lose their courage, their confidence in who God is. They might even get depressed. They would get fatigued, fatigued as far as mentally and emotionally and spiritually. That, that's what he's referring to when he says, we don't lose heart. He's saying, we don't do that. In fact, the idea of losing heart, the opposite of that is dedication. It's kind of an interesting, what he's saying. He's saying dedication. He's saying, listen, we stay dedicated to the cause. That's really what he's saying. We don't lose heart. What do you mean? We stay dedicated. We stay focused on what God has called us to do. That's what Paul's saying. And he's using the we. It's not just him. It's not I. It's we. What do you mean? Well, Paul... See, if he had said I, we'd say, well, he's the great apostle Paul. Of course, he's not going to get discouraged. He, he was, went to the third heaven. I mean, he saw Christ. He was disciple personally. No, no. We. That's all of us. Anybody that's a believer, we. We don't have to lose heart. Never have to lose heart. See, we can remain dedicated, consecrated through all the ups and downs. We can remain hearted, as it were, committed and strengthened and confident and strong in Christ. Isn't that good news? That no matter what the Lord allows in our lives, that we can remain that. 
So we want to learn the three secrets, as it were, to how to remain hearted, <clears throat> dedicated, so we don't have to lose heart. You know, how can we live to the glory of God through it all? And again, if you're a believer here and you've lost heart, maybe you're questioning. Maybe you're, you know, you've gone through enough in life and you say, well, but you know, I've, been, I've lived quite a long life and I've had a few really major where the, you know, the, your feet were kicked out from underneath you, you know, in an unexpected way. And I, I'm just not sure if I can trust God. I'm a believer, but I'm not sure if I want to daily trust Him. And I'm just frustrated. Actually, John, sometimes I get angry. I'm a little bit bitter. I'm a little bit resentful. In fact, actually, if I was truthful, I'd say I, I'm a real, I'm a lot resentful. See, it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to work out. I thought my life would end differently. I thought my relationships would be different. See, it's not working out. See, I, I received Jesus and I thought all of life was going to be a blessing. And things have happened in my life and now I'm frustrated. And I have this low-grade irritation. And I'm frustrated and like I said, I think at times I get angry. Maybe, well, maybe if I was really honest, I would say I'm angry. It's really at God. All right, this is a passage for you because this is what creates um, a focus on who the Lord is and that we could be enduring. Uh, in review, the first one's a review. First of all, and there's, they're each found in 16's of principle, 17, and then 18. Look at 16. You will be an enduring Christian, and Paul was an enduring Christian. Why? Because Paul valued spiritual strength over physical strength or physical vigor, if you will. Because what does he say? Even though our outward man is perishing, the inward is being renewed day by day. The first and, and, and most critical, I mean not the most critical because they're all critical, but the, the first uh, uh, secret as it were, or the first truth is this, that our outward man is perishing. <laughs> I mean that's just the reality. And we looked at uh, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12 last week. But the outward man is perishing. That's why he says in chapter 4 verse 7, just a few verses earlier, that we are, uh, this treasure is in earthen vessels, clay pots. You, you know what a clay pot is. My one son loves doing clay. You know, fire's clay. The only thing with these clay pots that I've, I've recognized is that they are really fragile. Like when they fire, they get, sometimes they get broken, and if you drop a clay pot, they break. They're very fragile, and they're quite honestly, they're, 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 they're not uh, long-term. I mean, like I said, there's a lot of things that can happen to a clay pot. And so Paul says, you know, this is, I'm just a clay pot. The outward man is perishing. But the truth is this, the inward man is continually being renewed. So even though the reality is, is the body is breaking down, and all of ours do, and see, for Paul, there was a lot of reasons his body broke down. One was just normal aging process. But the other thing is, you know, he said in 2 Corinthians 11, you know, all the things that had happened to him, plus the care for the churches. I mean, he was under a tremendous burden physically because of the care for Christians. But not only that, the third reason was people wanted to hurt him. People wanted to kill him. People were tracking him down. Remember, he got stoned, shipwrecked, scourged, all these things happening to the Apostle Paul. He said the outward man is perishing. The outward man is, is not as good as it was five years ago. But, and this is the encouraging part, this is, but the inward man is being renewed 
the inward man, the, the real me, the heart, the soul, the, the part that loves God, the part that uh, God resides in, the part that is eternal, the part that will go to heaven. You know, when we have a funeral, what do you always look at? I mean, if you have the casket out there, well, that's the body. You know, that stays here, but the eternal. And he says, the eternal part of me, the, the soul, that, that's continually being renewed. And, and the one piece I want you to remember, and this is that suffering trials energizes spiritual growth. That's how it happens. Our sufferings and our trials should energize our spiritual growth. Because what does it do? It, it helps us take our eyes off the physical. Suffering helps us take our eyes off the physical. And actually, with the suffering and trials and hurts and all that, doesn't it just make you tiny get tired of this world? You know, it doesn't just help us take our eyes off the physical. It actually just gets us tired of it. Like, you know, I'm just tired of it. Aren't you going to be glad when there's no more conflict? See, in heaven you don't have conflict. Everybody agrees that Jesus is king. Right? In heaven you don't have any conflict. You don't have to deal with, you know, just, I'm not even talking the physical body now. I'm just talking about dealing with people. It's going to be great. Right? By the way, I love all you guys. But that's, that's going to be great. Okay, so that's the first key. That's the first secret. You will be an enduring Christian when, when you value spiritual strength over physical strength. That's, that's, not, hard, uh, that's not easy to do. Sometimes we, we value the physical. We put a lot of emphasis on the physical, the here and now, the how I look, how I feel, all that. But again, that's, that's, not a, that, that's going to make you get discouraged. Okay, second one is verse 17, the second principle, the second secret, if you will. Paul treasured the future reward over present difficulties. Future reward over present difficulties. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is, is, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Again, not only did Paul's physical suffering make him spiritually strong, that's what we saw in the first principle, but it also enriched his eternal reward. In other words, the fact that he had gone through so much suffering for Christ's sake, he said, not only did it make me spiritually strong, but it actually gave me more reward in heaven. That's what he's saying here. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us. It's working. It's producing. And that's where we stopped last week. I mean, again, this is what he calls his light affliction. I mean, this is what he calls his affliction. Light. Fluff. That's what it means. Fluff. Nothing significant. It's all insignificant. Paul looked... I mean, again, the scourgings, the beatings, being tracked down, being... Um, mocked, having people turn on him. All the hurts of his life, he said, that's insignificant. I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine going through everything we read last week and saying that's insignificant. Which is good for him to say it because whatever you're going through most likely isn't that great, right? So, I mean, if he could say it was insignificant, we can look at all of our life, all of our uh, hurts. And again, that word affliction means pressure. It slips us. Pressure. All the pressures of life. What are your pressures of life? Well, you might say, well, I don't have any pressures with people. It's just finances or maybe other relationships in the family. I don't, I don't know. 
But all those pressures, those earthly struggles. But what did Paul, what was he able to do? He was able to see his earthly struggles through heaven's eyes. That's really what he's expressing in verse 17. He was able to see earthly struggles through heaven's eyes. And that's why he was able to say it was light. Because then he says, and it's just for a moment. Now again, it had been going on for years, but as James says, it's like a vapor. It's a vapor. Just for a moment. But the point that you want to zero in on is that it's working for us. These trials work for us. They're producing something. I don't think I mentioned last week, but in Philippians 2, uh, the idea is this, that the, the greatest glory is re- reserved in heaven for those, the greatest glory for those who suffer the, great, uh, the greatest. Greatest glory reserved for those who suffer the greatest. Because, you know, some would say, well, why would I want to serve the Lord? I mean, I'm saved and I'm secure because I believe in eternal security. So why would I sacrifice? I mean, sure, I could do it, well, out of love for Christ. But also, if you want to talk about reward, the greatest glory is reserved for those who suffer the greatest. And you say, well, how could you prove that? Well, think about Christ. Eternal Lord came, was obedient even to death uh, on the cross. What's the next part that says in in Philippians 2, verse 9? Therefore, God also has highly exalted him. And when he says highly, he's saying high above all others. So the idea is this. for, For Christ, the greatest glory ever was given to Christ for enduring the greatest suffering ever endured. The greatest suffering Christ did. The greatest glory Christ received. That's how it happens. Your willingness to suffer for Christ. Now again, I'm saying suffer in many ways. However you suffer for him. Will will turn out to be reward in heaven. We want to, by the way, we're not sadistic. We don't, oh, Lord, please help me suffer. I'm saying, as you walk along in a broken world, you're going to suffer for Christ if you stand for him. I mean, it could be as simple as uh, your family, your extended family wants you to do this, but God wants you to do this. And in the process, what happens? You have to make a choice. Am I going to please the family or please Christ? You see this happen all the time. I, I, I told you this... Uh, well, I won't even give illustration because sometimes there's a lot of ways that many times we try to please our family that actually is displeasing to Jesus Christ. And we have to be careful because, again, our, we want to please him. And just know that the greatest suffering, the reward is the greatest glory. In fact, you can get another example. Remember the, uh, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Christ said, I want my sons to sit on your left and right, and he asked this question, can they drink, well here, in fact, I'll even show it to you, Matthew 20, because I, I don't want to, uh, go to Matthew 20, verses uh, 20 to 23. Matthew 20, 20 to 23. I think it's worth... Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons. Okay, so you can kind of see a loving mother comes with her sons to Christ, kneeling down, asking something from him. 
shows humility. And he said to her, what do you ask? What do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and on the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup? Now we know in, in Matthew 26, the cup is the cup of suffering. Can, you, can they drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to them, we are able. <laughs> they were totally ignorant. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. But his point is this. You say you want exaltation. I'm telling you, to get exalted, you're going to have to drink the cup of suffering. Why? Because suffering leads into having glory. If you're willing to suffer on this earth, then you will be, um, have glory in heaven as far as the reward. The greatest glory in the kingdom is reserved for those who suffer the most in this life. And that's why Peter says in chapter 4, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep rejoicing, so that you also at the revelation of his glory may rejoice, i.e. be glad, with exaltation. In other words, that's what it's all about. Now again, not going around saying, Lord, I want to suffer, I want to suffer, I want to suffer, but it's saying this, Lord, put me, allow me to glorify you, and part of glorifying you is that there's going to be times of suffering in my life. There's a direct correlation between suffering in this life and glory in the next. Again, and how one man explained it, and I believe this is exactly right, the ability, the capacity to praise God, to serve God, and to glorify God in heaven is increased as we have been faithful to him on this earth. So as we have been willing to suffer for him here, the capacities there are greater. Now, you say, but if I receive Jesus Christ, I'm going to heaven, right? Yeah, that's right. But the capacity to glorify him and to serve him and to praise him is different. Not everybody has the same capacity. Now, will that mean that I'll look over at one of you and say, boy, they have a greater capacity to serve Christ? No, I don't believe you're going to. But what is reward all about? See, what, what do you, it, does reward mean a greater, you know, like I get to be in a bigger house? That's not the issue. Because the issue in heaven is to worship and glorify God. Apparently, and, and again, I'm, I'm trying to piece this through, but apparently reward has to do with the capacity has to do with the capacity. So we want to be faithful. And that's what he's saying. Um, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That word exceeding is hyperbole. Hyperbole, ace hyperbole. And you know what a hyperbole is? It's an exaggeration. And he's saying, listen, uh, the, the glory that's there can't even be compared to what's here. It's, and you can't even exaggerate. That's what Paul is getting you can't even exaggerate how great it is. So you suffer a little bit here. You can't even imagine what the way to glory there is. Because it's hyperbole, ace hyperbole. It's, it's way beyond anything you could possibly imagine how great it is there. And it's all connected with how you walk with Jesus Christ here. So yeah, you're, you're, you're suffering, you're giving up, you're... 
you're walking with him in faithfulness, and these earthly trials, though, become trivial in comparison to heavenly glory. So the second point is this. You will endure when you treasure future rewards over present difficulties. Why? Because it's just, it's so much greater. If only he would give us a glimpse of all that's there. It would just make, but see, he has through his word. But you've got to read his word. You've got to say, yeah, there's a heavenly glory coming. And then finally, Paul cherished the eternal realities over the temporal. And this was the third secret of Paul running the race well, of him enduring, as it were, having the broken leg and finishing it well. He cherished, he valued the eternal realities over the temporal. While we don't look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, this is the key thought, actually, in the passage. It's that word look. While we do not look, it's that word scope, scopio. You know, when you're, when you're looking at a micro, when you're looking at something in a microscope, you're focusing in on that, like, let's say, little amoeba. You know, you ever done that little amoeba? Oh, yeah, I can see that thing. Ooh, is that all in that water? Why would I ever want to go swimming? Okay, but the point is, is you focus. And here... Paul says, listen, do you know why I run with endurance? Do you you know why I'm looking at the inward man, not the outward man? Do you know why I'm looking at eternal rewards versus the present difficulties? Because my focus, and this is a concentrated focus, a fixed focus, okay? It's a focused, committed gaze. It's like this is what my my, uh, spiritual eyes are on. While we look, not at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen. See, we're not looking at the seen. We're not looking at the temporal. In other words, what Paul is saying is this. We are, I am looking at the invisible. That's really what he's saying there. I'm not looking at the seen. I'm looking at the invisible. Now you say, how can you look? Because he's talking about spiritual eyes. Paul's spiritual eyes were on the invisible. The invisible realities of what was revealed in God's word. He was looking at the invisible. And this is a conditional force. This, in other words, this is conditioned. If I'm going to run this race, I have got to be looking at these invisible realities. If you're going to run well as a Christian, you've got to be focused on these invisible realities. So that's the main. That's why Colossians 3 says, set your minds on things above, not on the things of the earth. Why? Because our citizenship is in heaven. You've got to set your mind. You've got to focus. You've got to fix your thinking. Not on the visible world, but the invisible. invisible. So, so let's take both sides. Paul says, listen, I have a fixed vision. My, my, my spiritual eyes are focused on fixed realities. Fixed spiritual realities. He's not looking at the temporal, the things that are seen. And, and you might ask, well, what is seen? You know, what is that? Now, the seen are anything that has to do with time. You realize that when we get to heaven and this earth is done, time is no longer, okay? He's saying, listen, I'm going to focus on the things that, that don't have to do with time. Seen is whatever belongs to time. 
Time is anything that begins and, or excuse me, time is anything that ends, begins and ends with time. Anything of this world, uh, we know that the universe is going to be dissolved. And we know that it's easy to focus on things of this world, right? The fleshly man, it's very easy to focus on the things of this world. In fact, it's, it's automatic. If you don't think about this, you'll be focusing on the scene. Everything will be about the scene. And talk about discouraging. Talk about not running the race well. I could say it this way. If you, if, you don't focus, if you don't focus on the unseen, you will not run the Christian race well. You won't. You'll be up like this all the time, all the time, because then circumstances will dictate and will take over very quickly. So we've got to do this. Like, see, what does the world say? What, what does the world push us to see? What does the world push, push us to focus on? Well, material things, right? Homes and cars and ATVs and guns. I like guns. And um, <laughs> cottages and vacations and IRAs and 403Bs and stock market and political. And I think there's some little political thing going on this week. Uh, but the point is, is if you focus on the scene, you're going to be all focused on that. Now, what does that do for you? Nothing. When it comes to the eternal realm, the eternal weight of glory, I mean, it just actually it just makes you anxious and many times makes you want to uh, question God. Now, again, I'm not saying not to pray. You should pray. You should pray God's will be done. Pray that this is the better, in one sense, this, well, not better, but this is the other part. Lord, and help me to be satisfied and contented with whatever you do in this country, in this state, and in my life. Just help, me to, just help me to walk with you. See, you're focused on the unseen by doing that. But think about the world's ideas. Not just the world things, but the world's ideas. What does the world say? That we are independent, self-sufficient, self-determinative? See, all those things. No, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God is in control. But think about the world's values. See, that's what is seen. What does the world say is important? The world says it's your prestige and your power and your popularity. Think about how many people live their entire life just for popularity. To climb the social ladder. To make their peers think that they are better than they are. To live your life to be loved. Some people just live their life to be loved. And yet, if you're in Christ, you're already loved. You don't have to search it out. It's already been given to you. See, health, safety, comfort, that's a big value of the world. I want comfort, safety, and ease. See, for Paul, he wasn't looking for any of that. That wasn't the, that, that's all seen. That's all within the realm of time. He said, no, don't look, don't fix your gaze on all those things. What does the world consider valuable? Intelligence, education. I'm just giving you all kinds of things. Because there's so many of them. There's not just one or two. There's all kinds of things that God, or the world says is very, very important. And you know, what, you know what God says? No, they're not. They're all part of time. You know what that means? It'll be, it'll be forgotten. You know, we, we build our little kingdoms and God says, it's a pretty little kingdom and it's very, it's, it's fleeting. I like going to yard sales. You know what I really like going to is estate sales. I've only gone to one or two of them in my life. But this is why I like going. To think that this is all the stuff that person accumulated over, what, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And now it's being given at, at, at small percentages. And you know what it is? And they're not here to say, no, 
I can't buy that for a quarter when they spent $5 for it. Why? Because that's, that represents their life. But you know what? Life is fleeting, right? So the point is, is Paul says, listen, don't focus on the things that the world says are so important. Degrees and accolades and authority being in your field. And I, I can go on and on. You, you get the point. You know, so much of it, by the way, has to do with this. Fear of man. How does the world look at me? In fact, the world would have looked at Paul as a colossal failure. Now, I want you to hear this. The world would have looked at Paul as a colossal failure. Here's a guy who was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, a disciple of Gamaliel, which was a, one of the top leading rabbis, probably part of the Sanhedrin. I mean, he had such a, he, he had such a wonderful start. He, had, he could have made such a, a name for himself. He could have uh, helped people. And, and the world would have looked at him and he said, he had such potential. And look at this guy, in and out of jails, being searched down, you know, giving up what he could have really helped humanity with. I mean, he's just a failure. He's just representing this guy, Jesus, and we've never even, you know, he's dead and yet he's still representing him. I mean, think of how the world would have looked at Paul. You're a failure. I think sometimes we have to come to grips with, the world many times will look at us like that. We're not here to try to please the world and we're not even here trying to make the world like us. We're here to, because Christ wants us to walk with him and to glorify him. So, so he says, you know, we do not look at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. In other words, Paul walked by faith. That's what it says. Walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith. If we're walking by faith, we are looking at the invisible. So let's look at the invisible world. Instead of living for those, all those things, and so many, so many of those things some of us are living for. Paul's saying, listen, I, I live for the invisible world. That the things that are not seen... But the things which are not seen are eternal. I mean, he lived for God. By the way, you know, what, you know what's eternal in this world? God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the souls of men. That's basically what's under consideration here. And the last thing would be angels, but that's not under, under consideration. So what did Paul live for? The Trinity and the souls of men. That's what he lived for. See, if Paul never had... All those other things. Never had the home. Never, and he, by the way, didn't. You know, and the, and the, all the things that we think are so important, he would have said, no, they, they, were, they were meaningless to him. That, that's not even important. And, and he would have said this, so much of that is just trying to make us look good in front of others. Okay? And I'm not, I'm not saying that it's wrong for you to have some of those other things. All I'm saying is don't live for them and certainly don't get your fixed gaze on them. But what did Paul live for? He lived for God. What? Worshiping and adoring and honoring, glorifying God. Write down this passage, 1 Timothy 1.17 and 6.16. It's his doxologies. Throughout scriptures, periodically, Paul will just break out to the invisible, only wise God. I mean, amen, amen. He, you can just see it. He'll write along in his uh, text and all of a sudden he'll just break out in praise to God. Why? Because he lived for God. And he lived and he loved Christ. His highest goal was to be like Jesus Christ. He said this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. His loyalty was Jesus Christ. He, was, he would rather be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Why? Because he loved Christ. That's, that's a reality. That's the unseen reality. 
And then when it came to the Spirit, he manifested the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, on. The fruit. He was in submission to the Spirit. He was, in, he was being controlled by the Spirit. We call that being filled. He wanted to enjoy and, and exhibit through ministry the power of the Spirit. And when it came to the souls of men, this is what he said in Romans 9 concerning the Jew. I could wish myself be a curse for Christ's sake, from Christ for my brother. He said, I could even wish, by the way, he just said that he was, um, that the love of Christ, that he was securing the love of Christ in chapter 8. But in chapter 9, he said this. He said, I love the Jew so much, my brethren, I could even wish myself accursed for their sake. So, I mean, it shows his heart. He, he was willing to sacrifice. In fact, he said in 2 Timothy 2, he was willing to endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. So, in other words, he was willing to do whatever it took to bring a person to Christ. See, Paul lived for the unseen, for eternal, for the eternal things, for God and for the souls of men. All the other stuff was insignificant to him. If you, had, if you had come to him and said, but these are all the other things you could have done in this world, he would have said this, time. It's all part of time. It's insignificant. Now again, for you, no. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you, you have to be responsible. I'm not advocating like, well, I'm not going to work anymore because you're telling me material stuff is not important. No, no I'm not talking about that. Because that's part of honoring God. That's part of glorifying God. But my question to you is this. What do you, what's your gaze fixed on? Is it fixed on the eternal? On the unseen or the seen? Because if it's fixed on the seen, the temporary, one, that is very discouraging, and two, you will not be able to run the race well. You will not be able to run the race well. Because you're, you're going to constantly be associating with uh, uh, being, your life will be dictated according to circumstance. So let me just close with that, and then we're going to stand to sing. In summary, losing heart is a result of unbiblical thinking. That's all I want you to think about. Losing heart is a result of unbiblical thinking. Pa- Paul thought correctly about the importance of his ministry, the mercy that had been given to him, the uh, eternal purpose God had for the problems of his outer man and his future, and therefore he was able to run well. And he was able to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we have this treasure, in in verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Therefore, we could be hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul would say it this way. You know what? Because I have my focus on these eternal realities, I can go through many, many, many difficulties in my life. And I can stay spot on as far as what God wants me to do. Never wavering. Because my eyes are fixed on these eternal realities, not at the things that are seen. Absolutely critical. So I would encourage you to look at your life and say, what am I focused on? And is my life like this because I am focused on the seen and not the unseen? Because I am focused on the temporary versus the eternal. And if it's like this, Lord, help me to get my eyes fixed on the eternal. Let's stand.